Welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Beyond the Crucible. You know, all of us experienced that personally, that time, you know, schools closed and businesses closed. And I'm in Summit, New Jersey, which is 15 miles outside of New York. I had friend, very close friends that were very sick. I mean, we experienced a lot um, in our in our community. It was um, this opportunity isn't happening, and you have to accept the shipment back. This opportunity isn't happening, and we don't know where the shipment is that you delivered. Just this endless daily influx of emails of bad news that not only did we not know what was going to happen next, but we had lost you know, lots of all those opportunities that we had created a product for. You just heard our guest this week talk about her experience going through a crucible all of us went through, the COVID-19 pandemic. As you'll hear Katie Jezanowski explain this week, the pandemic decimated the organic children's food business she and her best friend had built just as it was about to take off after more than a decade of their hard work. But you'll also hear the loss of that business that they built from scratch was not the end of Katie's pursuit of a life of significance. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. In her conversation with Warwick, Katie explains how both the tragedies and the triumphs of her failed startup have proven invaluable to her new career as Chief Marketing Officer of Total Family Management. The company brings the best aspects of personal and business life coaching to the entire family unit, helping the building block of society build a clearer shared future of joy. Well, Katie, again, thanks so much for being here. I love uh, what you do and what I've read at Total Family Management. It's very inspiring. I definitely want to hear uh, you know, a lot about that. Uh, but you've had an interesting journey. You've had some crucibles that we'll get into. I'd love to start with a bit of the backstory of Katie Jesenowski. What kind of who were you growing up, you know, hopes and dreams, you know, interesting to see if there's any through lines between some of the things you loved doing as a kid and what you've done since. So uh, talk us through what a young Katie was like and what was some of the hopes, dreams and things you loved to do growing up? Yeah. First, thanks, work for having me. It's it's uh, I love the conversations that you're creating here. So I'm excited to talk to you today. Uh, young Katie was... Um, a connector, just like I am now. I, I was kind of always interested in meeting people and um, I had a lot of friends growing up and I like to be surrounded by groups of people, um, lots of different kinds of people. Um, I wanted to be a teacher almost my entire childhood, um, which I think you can be a teacher in a lot of different ways. I definitely thought I would be a teacher in the traditional sense, which never ended up happening, but that was a big dream of mine. I was really creative. I like to write I like to, I like to infuse music into things. And, um, I think that, you know, who I was as a kid is a lot of who I still am. And I've just found different ways to express those interests, maybe in a different sense than I thought I would. So before we get into that fascinating, uh, organic kid snack food business, which would be fun to explore, just talk about some of that early career choices. Obviously you didn't go into teaching, but you went into some very interesting fields. I so talk about, what they were and what drew you to those, you know, first years out of, you know, sort of school and what have you. Yeah, I I can't really remember where advertising, you know, was a seed in my mind, but I do remember thinking early on how interesting to have a company, to even start a company. I don't know, you know, I ended up working on pretty large brands, but I was thinking how interesting to start a company and then need to hire someone else to tell me how to talk about it. It just fascinated me. Like, how could that be, right? Who could know it better than you? And so um, I was very interested in advertising and I wasn't quite sure where I fit or what I wanted to do, but I just wanted to learn everything I could about it. And so um, I went to a liberal arts school. There really wasn't, I, I was surrounded by people going into banking and consulting and I had to kind of forge my own way, which and turns out to be something that I love to do. So. Um, I found an agency um, through tons of grit and it was a small shop that I got to learn how the entire operation worked. And I, I ended up in media planning, which I think was a great fit for me. 
uh, for a lot of reasons. And then I moved um, to Chicago and worked for a big agency there. And then I ended up moving to New York and working for another big agency there. And I just got all this great experience learning how all of these brands are doing the exact kind of same practices and exercises to get the word out. And I think all of those lessons serve me in the other things I ended up doing, including my role today at Total Family Management. So um, it was it was a really fun learning curve for me. Um, and it was very creative, which I loved um, being able to use, you know, that side of my personality. Um, so I, I had a lot of fun in advertising those seven years. Talk about how how in the world you got into this organic kid snack food business. What was uh, the origin story of, of your desire to get into that? Yes. So um, I was living in New York in lower Manhattan when I got pregnant. Um, and I was in this online mom's community where there were all these subsets, um, which is probably true of any community, but in New York, you can literally find anyone that's doing exactly what you're doing. Cause there's so many people. And so there was this subset of moms to be pregnant with twins delivering in these two to three months. And one of the women in the group sent out an email and said, does anyone want to meet up in the morning? And four of us showed up at this little coffee shop and just, you know, poured our anxieties out on the table because we're all first time moms having twins. And one of the women in the group, we became close friends. She was still in investment banking, but she was um, taking a little bit of time off after the children. And then as um, the weeks went by, she confessed that she was thinking about leaving. She was, she was leaving at 7 a.m. and getting home at 7 p.m. and just tired of it. And so um, we talked about that a bit and I was, you know, I, I loved that I could be there for her and that she felt comfortable talking to me. And we, you know, just became friends in that life stage, but she was talking about leaving and starting something else she wanted to work. And I was in this point in my life that I was very firmly a stay at home mom and no one was going to tell me otherwise because it was this thing that I decided long ago that I was going to do. And even my husband, I remember him saying, if you change your mind, it's totally fine. And I remember cutting him off and saying, I won't change my mind. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> but I was very uncomfortable in the early months. And I don't, I think it was beyond that new parent phase, which so many people can relate to. It was, I just wasn't, I wasn't thriving as a person. And so as we talked and met, she came over, um, you know, about a year and a half later, we were friends and she had taken some time and she was still working and all these things. And she left her job. Our children were about 12, 13 months old. She came over. We had these four toddlers rolling around on the floor. And we had an hour and a half conversation about food and maybe her starting a baby food company and what parents wanted and what we were facing ourselves. And I was so all in. It was like time stopped, right? And it was just one of those moments that was just really, really fun. And I had missed that it wasn't grown-up talk. It was just that part of myself that really was coming alive in something. But I didn't consider it as anything other than that, truly. And she left. And as my husband and I were making dinner that night, she sent me a text and said, do you want to do this with me? And I looked at my husband and I showed him the text. I said, do what? Like, what is she even, what is she even talking about? And I wrote that to her. And she said, well, let's just meet tomorrow. And I have the notebook that I took to the coffee shop that I met her with. And it was the ideas of the names of the company that we eventually founded. And so it really did start that naturally. Um, we were both making all of our children's food. We were both frustrated by not finding certain things and the things that we were finding that were organic were filled with sugar and hmm. other things that we just didn't want. And we were exhausted from making it all ourselves. So we were in that in-between of wanting something from the store but just wanting it to be better. And, you know, where I think we both have the, the type A personality that just went for it. There's so many things we didn't know. And I was, you know, we, we were literally Google searching every single aspect of packaging and <laughs> manufacturing and, you know, just everything about it. Um, you know, and just willing to, to take the next step and the next step and the next step. I mean, that is so amazing. Uh, and how soon after you had your twin girls, did you start the business? So it was about a year, it was about 14 months 
Okay. Her twins were about a year old. They're two months younger than my girls. So, um, yeah, we had a few months where we were kind of coffee shop meeting and then it was July. So it was about a year and a half when it officially became a business. I want to jump in just to say, what was the name? Such a creative person, such a, yeah, you know, you yeah, poured so much of yourself into it. It, it, it. it brought you alive. What did you name the company? So the company is called My Superfoods. It initially started because it was her idea initially, and it was baby food at the start to have a name. A lot of companies have a name. Should it be her daughter's name, her mother's mm-hmm. name? Mm-hmm. So we we went around with names for a long time, and there was something about the ownership of my mm-hmm. children, something you know, and super is just a fun word, but it was also superfoods. We use a lot of superfoods in the ingredient panel, and so like chia seeds and blueberries, and if you've ever heard that term, uh, really nutrient dense foods are mm-hmm. commonly known as superfoods. So. It was kind of the playfulness of that. Um, but it it came together actually pretty quickly. If I looked back at that notebook, it was on that very first page. So you had this idea, the dream became reality. And what happened over those 10 years? Talk a bit about the growth and the expansion of My Superfoods. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I think like anyone starting a business, you think it's going to all come together much faster than it does. So we really, you know, as I said, we officially became the business in July of 2011. And we had um, a food scientist. The plan was never to sort of launch at the farmer's market scale. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I know tremendous businesses that do that. But our plan was always to be a brand with multiple SKUs, multiple product lines. That's what we wanted to do. So uh, we had a food scientist. We had a co-manufacturer. We were all lined up. But um the original recipe of our first product started in my kitchen. Just, I would put my girls in their um, uh, chairs in the morning for breakfast and I would whip up a couple of half batches of these granola bars with different varieties of flavors. And then I would put them in the, in the stroller and I would walk the 10 minutes to my business partner's house and I would drop them off. And then I would say, you know, send me notes or tell me what you think. And so when we went to the food scientist, he was backing into something that would be shelf stable, but not filled with chemicals and all these things. And he ultimately told us that what normally takes him, I don't know, five or six or seven rounds took him 24 on our first product. So, and we just, we were, we were relentless with, you know, we don't want to add anything that we don't want in there, but we want it to be incredible tasting. Children will tell you instantly if they don't like it. (laughs) So we couldn't (laughs) mess around. Um, and so it ended up taking us 14 months to launch our first product, um, which was my super snack granola bites, uh, it was three flavors and it launched, um, in the whole foods in the Northeast region, which was a huge win for us. Um, but you know, that was, that was all a big lesson for us. We had never, I, I called packaging companies that told me they had orders from PepsiCo for millions of units and they didn't have time for us. Call us back in a year, they would say. Um, Everything was gigantic quantities and you really had to find people willing to work with you. But as you can imagine, there are hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs out there every day starting ventures. And these businesses probably got burned by some of them and, you know, didn't end up working out or we're all taking a risk, you know, out here. And so you have to hedge those risks. Um, but we ultimately found a lot of really wonderful people willing to give us a try and and work with us on smaller quantities and grow together. Um, so that was um, fall of 2012. And then it was um, just under two years later that we launched our second product. And we we just always were, you know, working toward building, building that portfolio of snacks. Um, and so we were traveling to trade shows and going to meetings and restocking shelves and sampling at the, at the, you know, the grocery store in the dairy section, freezing with coats on winter coats on in the middle of summer. And, you know, and our children were sometimes by our side and, um, we were just, um, taking the business from New York city to New Jersey, getting an office in our town and really just starting to, to grow it together. What I love about your vision is you didn't compromise because you could have made it a lot easier for that food scientist. Stick a bunch of chemicals, you probably could have got it in two or three tries. It wouldn't have been that complicated. But that would have been directly against 
you know, the heart of the vision of, you know, my super snack uh, food, it would have been completely contrary to that. So to find something that tastes good, that doesn't have chemicals, and what's the point of no chemicals if you load it up with sugar? Because sugar is terrible for kids and adults. So no chemicals, low sugar, but tastes good. That is not easy. That is... It's not mission impossible, but it's mission extremely difficult. You know, so mm-hmm. but you weren't you and your business partner, you weren't going to compromise. And that that's a big lesson is don't compromise the vision. You know, you could have made it a lot easier on yourself, but you weren't gonna so I think that's a, a huge lesson that I think we can all learn from you, don't you think? I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, you have to compromise on a lot of things. Um, but there have to be those core values, right? What what do we stand for what we wanted to create a company that parents and, you know, for us, it was mostly moms doing the shopping, um, not all, but mostly. And we just wanted them to be able to say, Oh, my superfoods. Yes. Oh, they have a new one. Great. Just reliability, trustworthiness. Obviously when they, when you get to know something for the first time and, and ingredients matter to you, you're going to turn that box around and you're going to look at everything. But over time we knew that to earn trust, it would require that, you know, we did not um, go back on those initial core values. So let's fast forward to February 2020. There was obviously a turning point then, but what was the state of your company then? Talk about the size of it, what was happening. I mean, from what I understand, really exciting things were going on. So talk about what life was like up to February 2020. Yeah. Um, you know, we had, we had sort of a stair step trajectory. We grew small, we self-funded for a long time. Um, we had a, we had a great team, but we were lean. And in the beginning of the year, we had, um, all these big opportunities sort of brewing and percolating almost out of nowhere. I mean, we, we had an opportunity at the front of BJ's wholesale club, which is a club store, like, um, you know, big box, um, opportunity, mm-hmm. As a, I believe it was a response to an email from over a year prior that my business partner had reached out to their um, category sales manager. And they wanted us in the front of store in a brand new opportunity. Brands pay tens of thousands of dollars for that placement. And they were offering it to us for free mm. to invite us into it. Um, that same, a similar kind of program was happening at Target in a brand new um, program, a grab and go program for them at the front of their store as well. We had worked with Target in the past and it's a wonderful opportunity for all reasons, uh, mostly scale. Um, And we were also a part of um, a finalist program for entrepreneurs with PepsiCo. Um, We were set to present in front of um, hundreds of people at a big conference that was happening in California that we went to every March. There was going to kind of be a little a pitch, you know, offer that we had to make, and there would be voting, and there were all these judges that were involved. And it was going to get tons of press. It was just big, big opportunities for us. In addition to the business that was still continuing to grow, and that was all happening in first quarter 2020. And with our projections, with those things and other things that were happening, we were um, already up 400% over the previous mm-hmm. year, just with what was happening. And and you know, we were just getting started, so. In our office, we had several rooms, but uh, my business partner and I shared a room and our desks faced each other almost like a, you know, old newsroom kind of (laughs) setup. And I remember just looking at her, her looking at me multiple times over that time period, like, this is it. This is like, this is what we've been working for. You know, 10 years goes in a blink, but also goes very slow at times, particularly when you're trying to grow something and scale it and, you know, face with lots of challenges. And it just felt like all the stars were aligning for us. I mean, in every conceivable way, all of our hard work was paying off and we just couldn't believe it. So I think listeners know what's company, what's coming because there were a shared crucible that many people have been through happened in February 20, but 2020, but talk about what happened and how that affected your business. Mm-hmm. I remember one of the last great days being the virtual presentation of that um, 
top 10 nomination that we got. We got to make our presentation virtually. It was only to the group of judges. We sort of lost that big press opportunity, but um, that that was still exciting for us. And we still got to meet a lot of really wonderful people. Um, but just immediately after that, I just remember not only, you know, all of us experienced that personally, that time, you know, schools closed and businesses closed and I'm in Summit, New Jersey, which is 15 miles outside of New York. I had friend, very close friends that were very sick. I mean, we experienced a lot in our community, but it was um, this opportunity isn't happening and you have to accept the shipment back. This opportunity isn't happening and we don't know where the shipment is that you delivered. Just this endless daily influx of emails of bad news that not only um, did we not know what was going to happen next, but we had lost, you know, lots of all those opportunities that we had created product for, right? So, you know, you get these orders and all of these wonderful things are happening, but we're also in this very strange time. I remember exchanging emails with a distributor and saying, don't worry about it. We'll pick it up. Can we just split the difference? You know, I remember trying to find compromises with everyone that we were working with because it wasn't anything like we had ever experienced. And we should have been coming together and trying to find solutions. Um, in the early, early days, I remember thinking, if we can just figure this out together, then it'll be okay. It wasn't until, you know, I don't even know how long later that it suddenly was settling that all of those opportunities are gone and I have no idea when they're coming back. Another very big opportunity that was brewing for the fall of that year was um, school food service. I had been, I had spent the previous two years personally dedicated to traveling around, meeting with nutrition directors um, one by one by one, uh, mostly on the East Coast, but also on the West Coast. And um, we had a lot of big commitments that were coming for the fall that were just gone because schools had closed. You know, those those individuals were so overwhelmed with the task of, you know, taking care of kids at school who weren't at school, but also needing to feed them. I, I remember a lot of people saying to me, well, you're a grab and go item. Isn't it perfect for what they, they're, they're handing out food to people. Don't they need more of you? And I said, they're so overwhelmed with how to do their job in a brand new way. Onboarding a new company takes a lot of effort. It doesn't sound like it would, but it was another thing to add instead of just plugging in what was already present. Um, it was just an endless, endless, endless list of disappointments. And, and in a way that the rug was just totally pulled out from under us. I mean, obviously most, I mean, listeners have all gone through this and, you know, we think of the personal devastation, people losing parents, especially elderly people, grandparents, anybody that's immunocompromised, it was you know, horrendous, um, disaster. But also as a disaster from a business point of view, supply chains were devastated. They became almost non-existent. And in your business, no supply chains. I mean, you can't have a business without supply chains. And if you're a new business, anything new, it's like, you know, we're just trying to survive. Everybody was in survival mode. And if you're new, it's hard for new to survive. I mean, it's uh, so it was had devastating, COVID had devastating personal consequences and tragedy, but also had huge business uh, consequences. So talk about how long did that last before you had to make a decision, or maybe a decision was made for you? What was the length of time between February 2020 and? It was a year and a half, almost two years, uh, because as you said, you know, it was supply chain challenges from every aspect packaging, um, corrugated boxes, those brown boxes, picture an Amazon delivery on your porch, that the, the price for that went through the roof because everything was suddenly shipping. You know, no one was going into a store anymore. So the price of that went through the roof multiple times in a 5X, 10X, what we had just paid a month earlier. The same for all ingredients. Um, every time you saw news about you know, containers being stuck in California or, you know, we, we were affected by those things. But as you said, you know, being a small brand, um, even after 10 years compared to a company like, you know, General Mills or any, any large food company, they 
had were struggling themselves, right? They they stopped making several brands themselves, um, but they had sort of a much higher view of what was happening. We could feel all the time that there was a wave brewing behind us, but we couldn't see it. And so it was that lack of preparation. We could never get out in front of anything. It was just constant waves crashing down on us unexpectedly. And so um, the final straw was our manufacturer. They worked with a lot of really large brands. They were wonderful and grew with us. And, um, you know, that was always a good relationship, but they, um, their demands for how large our, our production runs had to be just kept multiplying as well. And so it was pretty much overnight. It went to 12 X what we had previously, what we were, had been currently doing. And we had spent that year, probably the last six months doing a lot of outreach to um, investors, you know, telling our story, you know, we needed so much capital to keep it going to, to keep up with all those rising prices. And we heard from so many people. um, If you can just hang on a little longer, this is a great company and a great idea, just a little bit longer. But what, what kept happening is a little bit longer, just kept moving. The target kept moving because the challenges never let up. And in many ways, I think there's still challenges, um, you know, three years later. So it really was about a year and a half that we just, you know, it was that last call of a 12 X production run. We just, we couldn't afford it. So we had to make the decision or I guess it was made for us. Which was, which was what the decision was made to, to close the business. So obviously there's the financial tragedy you put, you know, 10 years of finances, both you and your business partner. And that obviously I'm sure had consequences, but then there's the emotional, there's a sense of failure. There's at least for many people, there'd be this sense of anger, the sense of, but this is truly a product that the world needs. This is so unfair. I mean, kids need this product. How come somebody wouldn't believe in us enough to give us another six months or another year or so talk about, I guess there's the financial aspect, but the sense of failure, the sense of anger, the sense of frustration. Yeah. We had friends and family, you know, investing in our, in our dream and in, in us in so many ways, but that's very, you know, that was always this dark, you know, cloud that, that weighs on you uh, because it would be easy to say that it was a really smooth 10 years, but of course it wasn't, you know, there were plenty of times in those 10 years that it was like, are we going to make it through this? And plenty of tears, honestly, that, you know, it's very hard to, to run a business. And so, um, but this was completely different. It was so much harsher and it felt so much more unfair, um, because, you know, I don't want to speak for my business partner, but to me, it, the, the sense of could I have done something different was always present in past challenges. It was absent for me in this one. It felt like this um, this thing that was completely out of my control, and that felt worse to me. Honestly, um, my I lost my dad seven years ago, and this was as close to the grief that I and I I I know maybe someone would be listening and say, "Come on, like relax," but it really was such a big part of my life. It was everything my children knew me to have grown and created, and they were a part of it. It was an enormous part of our family and something I was so proud of. It was, you know, the biggest thing I'd ever created professionally. It was, I, I just got a phone call three weeks ago. I had a voicemail on my phone from a mom who was just saying, I just, my children are grown. They're in middle school. I came across something that it seems like your business closed. I just wanted to leave you a message and tell you how grateful I was to have your, your snacks in our house. My children loved them. It meant a lot to me. Like she was just calling to say that, you know, I got phone calls like that all the time. And I ran our social media and I, I had my face in videos and I would hear from families. So it was deeply, deeply personal. Um, it was very difficult. It was so much grief constantly. And we were still in this state of, you know, just everything happening in the world. And personally, my, you know, my children's school was still in flux and all these things were happening. 
it took a long time to process what had happened to go through, like you said, that anger, the heartache, um, you know, I, my husband in that time told me that it, it rings in my ears all the time. You know, what I did is a part of our children and they will give some part of that to their children that you can create something and you can, you know, start from th- something from scratch and follow a dream. And, um, you know, I, I'm less emotional about those words now, but it was, it was just this, this thought I needed at the time where it just felt like this endless sea of sad, you know, why is this happening? It was this, that optimism that maybe there is something here that can be saved when everything else is ash, you know, it just, because when you lose a person or a business or anything meaningful, you realize how quickly it gets packed away. You know, it's just gone. And just like that, you know, one day it was on the shelf and then the next day it was gone and a, a different box filled in the gap and life went on. And you just realize how quickly that giant, important, enormous thing to you is just air. It, it seems so cruel. It's sort of yes. like, you know, you could be CEO or executive vice president of some big company and you resign or you get fired and the next day there's a new nameplate and somebody else is going to the conference and life goes on as if you never existed. That's yes. that that's normal normal life. But for you, it wasn't just death of a business. It was death of a dream. It was something you felt like the world needs this. You know, it's all this junk food that's harming kids and more and more medical research shows, you know, the way the link between, uh, you know, cancer and, uh, you know, chemicals that I think doctors are beginning to think hmm, maybe there's something in this you know uh you know the research is pretty at least from my perspective becoming more conclusive so it felt like this is death of a dream this is death of something that kids need moms and dads needs for their kids health this isn't just a business so when a dream dies that you feel passionate about it feels like part of your sense of self dies part of your identity who is katie jesanowski without this company. I mean, this is me. It's like somebody just stuck a dagger in my heart. So I guess the question that listeners are probably thinking is, you know, this is a big deal, you know, and I'm not minimizing at all the death of your dad. That was massive. But this is also a big deal. How did you bounce back from that? Because there are some people that, I don't know, maybe they wouldn't have. I mean, how do you, how'd you get over that sense of just my dream has died? Now what? To be totally honest, when we, you know, we started the process of closing the business, I felt enormous relief for a period of weeks. I don't know that I was totally aware of why at first, but when I looked back, it was simply just being able to decide something. It just felt like this year and a half of just like, try to hold on, you know, just try kicking for the top, but never reaching it. And so I felt this enormous relief for sure, um, for maybe a month or a little bit longer. And then I think I came as close to depressed as I've ever come right after. Um, and I, and it, um, I'm, I'm pretty good at asking for help. I'm good about, you know, telling my close circle something's going on. So I, I got, you know, back into therapy and I was talking to my husband about what was going on. I think pretty quickly when that shift happened, but not right away, of course, because it was, it just kind of bled right into the next phase. Um, I wasn't really thinking about, oh, I might have, you know, a lot of emotional re- response to this gigantic decision. I, I don't, I don't know that I had the headspace to, to prepare for that. So um, I think that after that period of time, I was going into some warmer months, which it's easier when the sun is shining to maybe feel a little bit better. Um, my husband, um, is, is wonderful in this, in this category and most others. And he said, listen, let's just have a summer where you wake up and you say, what do I want to do today? And that's about as uncomfortable as I could get in my personality. It's like, (laughs) no, no, let's have a plan and let's think, but it was absolutely the advice that I needed. And he would check in with me sometimes, like, how's your day going? I'm like, 
I don't even know. I, you know, I saw my friend and I went for a walk and he would just celebrate every single decision that I randomly made because it was so uncomfortable. He knew how uncomfortable it was for me, but he just kept saying something great is going to come and you just have to make space for it. You know, I, Hmm. I felt like I knew what I didn't want, which was, you know, I don't just want a corporate job. I don't want to go looking for a job to fill this hole because it was so much more than a job. And I just didn't know. I didn't really know what was going to, you know, I wasn't looking for something to match it because I didn't think that that was really possible or fair to the next thing that I would do, but just simply creating that space. So I got better. I got better at waking up and like, what do I want to do? And it was the first summer that I had spent with my children without working since they were 18 months old. And having two 12-year-old daughters that you spend a lot of time with turns out to be a really good idea because that's a really important time for their, you know, talking about things and their life and getting to, you know, move into becoming teenagers and all of those things. So it ended up being a really, really great summer. And I did get better at, you know, I read a lot and I started writing and spending more time with people that I really care about and just being outside a lot, you know, being outside is a really great thing. And when you're working all day, you're usually not outside. So yeah, I think, you know, having gone through like a freedom and then maybe a depression, I kind of settled into, okay, let's like just wait and see a little bit. You know, it's interesting, Katie, as you're talking, there's a lot of lessons I think listeners can learn from your story. Uh, obviously, tragedy does happen, and sometimes it's it's not your fault. You know, my as listeners have heard this. My uh, psychological mindset, unfortunately, is if there's a problem in the world, it's my fault. I don't blame other people. I blame myself. I'm not saying that's healthy. That's just and a lot of it was my fault. The fall of this 150 year old family business, but it wasn't all my fault because lots of you know other family factions, a lot of things going on. Uh, but anyway. But yeah, I mean, sometimes it's not your fault, but the fact that you sought help, one of the things we talk about all the time is the importance of that. We use a a phrase uh, beyond the crucible, uh, having fellow travelers. Some fellow travelers encourage us. Some we compliment us as in have skills that we don't have. So let's say if you're marketing, maybe somebody else is good at finance or operations or whatever it is. But you had fellow travelers with you, sort of the ultimate one, uh, you know, and a spouse, partner, sort of cheerleader walking with you, just offering such wise advice of just, you know, celebrating each walk in the park, each coffee with a friend, saying, let's just be present, spend the summer with the girls. I mean, just such good, good counsel. And I'm sure you had friends you were having coffee with and all that offered, you know, probably... I don't say equally, but, you know, probably up there with really good advice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and yeah, and I have certainly have in uh, years when, in the early years after the takeover with uh, counseling and all, to me, seeking counseling and help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. It's a sign of I'm worth it. My kids are worth it. In your case, my husband's worth it. You know, I'm not going to just stick my head in the sand. I'm going to do something here. So I think it's a sign of great strength that you did all that. So there's a lot of lessons that people can learn from your story. If somebody asks you, what are the lessons to, I guess maybe I summarized some of them, sorry, but what are some of the lessons that people can learn from your story? Um, And another off-the-wall question, was there any blessing about what happened? Because it's a word I never would have used, but I can't tell you how many guests I've had on this podcast who said there was a blessing what I went through. Even people who have suffered physical tragedy, then ask me to explain how that could be a blessing. I can't. I, well, I can tell you people have said it. So just how would you summarize any lessons or maybe even any blessings of what happened? My business partner is like a sister to me. Her family is closer to me than many people I'm related to. Um, that friendship And those friendships and those relationships are just completely unmatched and priceless. And we were friends when we started the business, but we are family now. And uh, through the, through the business, you know, we uh, were constantly questioned by people, you know, how do you guys do this? Your friends, friends don't get into business together. 
And we worked on it like we work on our marriages. Um, it requires that, that level of effort. Um, but I would say those six people in that house are a blessing. I would also say that, um, you know, that time with my daughters, as I said, that summer was a blessing when, before my dad passed, he was sick. Um, he had a spinal cord stroke and was paralyzed for six years. And I spoke to him mm. almost every day, which I, I don't feel badly in saying this because it's true. I would not have done, you know, I would not have spoken to him every day. Um, but I spoke to him almost every single day and that was a blessing. I would say that I would go back and do it again. So that has to be a blessing that it was, it was worth that pain and that anguish that I would very confidently say, I would go back and do exactly the same thing again, because, uh, there was something, you know, I loved advertising. I found it to be really interesting, but there was something at the end that I just, I could see if I stayed there for my entire career, I could see it. And it just wasn't as exciting as the beginning. I just kind of like, oh, I would just do this at a bigger level and maybe get paid more and have more people to tell what to do. But it didn't really feel that different to me. I was always looking for, can I be on the new business team? And can I go see what they're doing over there? And I went for it. You know, I, I've had hundreds of people over the years come up to me and say, I have this idea. Can we meet? Can we talk? Can you tell me how you did your thing? And almost none of them have done anything with it because it's very hard. And I would probably have not done it alone. Uh, I was lucky to be asked to join someone else, but, uh, I did it, you know, and I'm proud of that. And my husband's right. It's a, it's something that I, that my daughters got to watch. And as I've talked to different family members, there were entrepreneurs that came before me that I didn't know were entrepreneurs and there will probably be entrepreneurs that come after me. Um, that's something that's, uh, really like a family value to me. I think that that's, you know, curiosity and creativity and connection. Those are all important words to me. So, um, in, in the very first year of the business, my husband came into our New York city bedroom where our, my desk was. And he said, are you just going to be working every minute that I'm home? And that was like a dagger because he was right. And I looked down and then I looked at him and we had a very important conversation about priorities and what I felt like it would take to grow the business, but what was important to our family. And obviously he's my biggest cheerleader. And, um, you know, we know that we can do a lot of really cool things with each other's support. So that's a blessing too. Boy, you know, there's, there's so many thoughts that are going through my mind. I guess one is we often think of the destination, right? If only I could get X millions in sales and get into Costco, Sam's Club and Gosh, how about, you know, international, you know, stuff in the UK and Europe and Australia or wherever, and there's the next level and nothing wrong with any of that. But I often feel like the destination is overrated. It's the journey, you know, because ultimately, even if your business was incredibly successful, pretty much all businesses end. If you look at the, I don't know, whatever the Fortune 500 was in 1900, I don't think any of them are around. Maybe there's one or two, but almost none of them exist. So another hundred years, you know, a lot of the businesses won't exist. We all have an end date. So at some point, you would not have been involved with that business. Either it would end or, you know, we all pass away. I mean, so mm -hmm. there's going to be an end date one way or the other, right? And ultimately, we talk a lot about legacy. People aren't going to be saying, we're not going to be saying, gosh, you know, let's say COVID never happened. Uh, you know, the business became a hundred million or, or more, and here are all the numbers. I'm guessing, as part of your funeral service, pe people aren't going to be giving numbers, even if it works successful. They're going to be saying, Katie Jesenowski was an incredible, uh, you know, wife, friend, mother, you know, the character, her inventiveness, her courage, her daring do, willing to take on anything. That's what's going to be in the message, it's not going to be numbers. So anyway, you get what I'm saying. Give the mini sermon, but it, I feel like destinations are overrated. I'm not. I'm. I'm all into goals and planning, but ultimately, you had such a, a remarkable journey. That it's valuable lessons for your friends and kids. And yeah, does that kind of make sense? The destination can be overrated a bit. Yes, I I totally agree, and I think that's why it's not surprising that I feel like I would do it again. 
you know, because it really was, it was a fun ride, you know, and that that's still true. I can, I can acknowledge the fun and still feel the pain at the same time. So let, let's talk about what you do now. So <laughs> total family management. So I love that concept uh, and I love kind of, you know, what you have here about, uh, you know, meaningful ways uh, to support your favorite team. Every family deserves to have healthy, happy, and connected relationships. So from what I understand, your sister, is, you know, was and I guess is CEO. Talk about how, I think it's a fun story, how you got involved in that. It was also an interesting start of a venture. Yeah. So it was uh, last summer, uh, a little less than a year ago or a little more than a year ago, I guess. And um, my sister is chief operating officer at the company. And she um, was working on something with the founder and CEO and sent me a message and said, Hey, we're working on this marketing presentation, but um, you know, there's no one in the leadership seat. Would you just take a look at this? And I, I knew a little bit about the company, but not much. And I said, sure. So I looked through and I had a bunch of notes. So I wrote a bunch of notes and then I sent it back and she said, oh, this is great. Thanks. The day ended, I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning at 6 a.m. thinking about it. And I came down to my office, turned on my computer and just wrote a new presentation <laughs> and um, had a really fun time. And I, as you remember from a few minutes ago, I was in a season of like, what do I want to do today? And that just so happened to be the thing I want to do, which probably sounds super weird to people, but was really wonderful for me that day. And I sent it to her and she emailed me back at whatever, 7.30 or eight o'clock or whatever time it was and said, he's going to love this and want to talk to you. So um, we had a conversation and we probably spoke for an hour and I got to know, you know, what the business was doing and, um, you know, what family coaching, you know, the idea for the, how to show up for families and support them and create meaning in relationships. And just this whole brand new idea of, um, supporting families in the way that executives have support for coaching and businesses come together quarterly and talk about what's most important to them. And, um, these are very well um, documented and understandable practices for so many of us, but no one's really talking about doing it for a family. And, um, I don't know if it was that day, cause I was headed on a two week vacation or shortly after he, Alex Kirby, who's the founder and CEO asked me to join the leadership team. And I had such a hard time with the question because I was absolutely not looking for a job and I didn't really know what that meant or what, you know, I, um, it, it was just very confusing. It felt like something that was so interesting, but I didn't really know how I was going to figure out the next step. And I was so blindsided by the opportunity that I, I felt like I was giving all my energy to what do I want to do today that I just couldn't expand it any further <laughs> to, um, be flexible in that way. So we just kind of kept talking and I, um, started, you know, showing up kind of consulting a little bit. And then I just had to come on and join the team. I mean, this is an interesting journey because you could have said this has nothing to do with organic <laughs> snack foods for kids. It has not, yes. okay, families involved. Okay, fine. I suppose you can kind of give a half check of that box and maybe a full check. But um, talk about why this is something that's so different. But yet my sense is, at least I assume that you're very passionate about this. Mm -hmm. um, why is this what you do, what total family management, why is this important? Why is this something, you're the chief marketing officer, so I'm sure amongst other things you do uh, media planning and, you know, a different yeah. guys, if you will. Why does it matter? Why is what you do, what this, this organization does, why does it matter? Well, I think that, you know, if you asked five people or 500 people, what the most important thing in their life was, there's probably going to be an overwhelming version of my family as a response. Any chance that we have to spend time on our family or talking to our family, or just like I had that summer with my 12 year old daughters or that conversation with my husband that really gave me the support I needed. That's what fuels us. That's what connects us. That's what um, ultimately, what we found at the company, there's an 84-year Harvard happiness study that follows all of these hundreds of folks and overwhelmingly above health, 
which definitely matters and adds, you know, a decade and a half to your life expectancy and money, which definitely matters and does the same connection and relationship matters the most of all. And that leads to longer, happier, and ultimately healthier lives. And so if that's true, which just feels true, but it actually is true, um, then why aren't we spending more time on that? And it just, you know, if we go back to the very beginning of the conversation, I am a connector. I enjoy being around people and supporting people and, and having conversations like this. Honestly, this is so much more fulfilling to me than, you know, I don't know, debating, you know, gossiping something that's happening in the local community or, you know, frivolous conversation about the heat wave that we're experiencing right now. Um, and so I just think that what I've seen in a year is that every time a family has these conversations that we're encouraging them to have, they're blown away by how much they've wanted to, but just either didn't know how or weren't creating the time for it, or, you know, just sort of felt like maybe they were waiting for something to happen to force it. I pulled a testimonial off um, your website from someone named Candace, who's a client. And she just summed up basically what you just said. She said this, being able to focus on your individual and family values, current and future needs, and overall family happiness and well-being is priceless. And the question that comes to me, hearing what she said, hearing what you've described, not just about total family management, but about um, my superfoods, do you think you're better equipped for this position because of your previous position, because of what you went through in that experience. You talked at length here about the way it affected your family. Now you're helping families navigate their way through their own thorny issues. It seems to me what you went through, one of the blessings of that is it makes you better at what you're doing now. Is that fair? I think it's more than fair. I think um, I've been very interested in self-development, personal development for let's call it 15 years. and you know, losing that business and going through that period of time was a masterclass in self-development because I knew I wanted, I I was going to get through it no matter what. Right. But, but I wanted to thrive getting through it and I knew there would be challenges and I knew, but I also knew that I couldn't do that alone. And so, and that's really, you know, that's relationship, right? Everything's better with someone else. The, the worst day and the best day is better with someone else. And so a hundred percent, you know, not only my experience losing that business, but my experience growing that business, connecting with those families, you know, speaking to parents who just, oh my gosh, thank you so much. It's the only thing they eat. You know, we, if you've had children, you know, that there's going to be a day where all they want to eat is whatever is right here, you know? Oh, they won't eat anything but that. It was this sense of community and connection just over kids' snacks. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be the most important conversation you've ever had. It just needs to be a conversation. And so um, I know the power of that with families. And so hundred percent, you know, I bring my experience from, you know, my superfoods to TFM. And I would also say a lot of our clients are business owners. And I know, you know, that stress and that struggle. Um, I think Gary, you mentioned that, like, you know, what those families are going through with all of them in a family business together or some of them running a business right. on their own. I can deeply understand that. We need to use this the strategic focus we have in the business world in the family, and we tend not to, right? Mm -hmm. You work with very smart people that are not having basic conversations that if they did that in their business, that either be fired or it would fail, even without COVID, right? It'd be, yes. they'd be terminated in a millisecond. It would be, you know, we need people that think, you're not thinking. Anyway, does that make sense? You know, just this dichotomy between highly intelligent people, just not even thinking about family, just they're too busy, they're not having these strategic conversations. Who are we? What are we? What are our values? They're not doing that, right? Yes, and I think, you know, if you think about a partnership at home, you know, two highly intelligent people with values and goals personally that they're thinking about, even in the periphery, there's so many actions we take in our day that um, the time required to make the decision is often around 
well, what's important to me for around this? What's important to me around this? What's important to me? When you decide, everything's easier. And so we have a we have a values workshop. All of our workshops are 90 minutes long. I give this example a lot to people because it's very it's it was so eye-opening to me. My husband and I have a coach. We go through the workshops. It's a benefit of working here and I love it. I've learned a lot about myself in the process. But if you had asked me five minutes before values, Katie, do you have values that you raise your children by? I would said, Warwick, I 100 percent do. And if you said, Great, what are they? I would have paused my pen over the paper and then I probably would have written down 25 words <laughs> or stumbled around and said something like the good ones because I don't know what, what they are or what they were. I know now, but I didn't know what they were before. And the reason is because I never really thought about that before. And it's a great measurement. It's a great tool. So once my husband and I went through 90 minutes of negotiating a list of 72 words, our list of 72 words isn't a perfect list, but it's a, it's a way to get you a great answer, mm -hmm. which is yours, sure. right? That's all a success in that workshop is coming up with your list. That's all that is. And so now one of our values is play. We have 13 year old daughters. Play looks very different now than it did six years ago. Play was super easy six years ago. My husband just reminded me a couple of weeks ago, we need to rethink play. And I said, you're right. We do need to rethink play. How are we? Because play isn't just what I think it is. It's what all four of us do. If, if that's a value for our family. And it's just a small example of a giant idea, which is once you're looking out onto a horizon of whatever, you know, we encourage five words. If you want four words, mm -hmm. if you want six words, that's great. So once you're both looking out or all of you are looking out at the same words, you're moving in the same direction instead of maybe we're going this way or that way. It's just a way to align and, and free up time on all the decisions that you make throughout your day and your life. And ultimately you want to have a sense of, are we living those values? You know, yes. bumper yes. stickers are sort of irrelevant. What would our kids say are our values? When our kids mm. look at us, would they say, yeah, mom and dad, whatever the family structure is, they're, they're living those values. They are those values. I learned, my, I learned our family values, not so much from what they say, but how they live. I mean, that's the ultimate goal in a sense, right? 100%. I would be incredibly remiss as my, in my responsibilities as co-host if after all this conversation about total family management, I did not give you the chance, Katie, to tell people how they can find out more about it online. How can they indeed find out more about total family management? Yes. they. So, I mean, if there was someone listening right now that wanted to, to get a dedicated coach and sign up for TFM and experience you know, what we're doing for families, you can go to totalfamily.io right now. Scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up in probably two minutes. Um, it's a really easy process, and um, you could definitely get a lot of information on our workshops. We have an eight workshop, eight foundational workshops in year one, where you meet with a, a private coach, just like this setting, uh, in a virtual setting, and just start to have all these conversations around what um, success looks like for your family. There's absolutely not one way to be a family. Um, and so our coaches are really just starting conversations with people and, um, getting, you know, big topics on the table so that everything about life becomes easier. Your connections become more meaningful. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of really exciting information on the website. Thanks for asking. Katie, one of the things that we often ask is, um, today could be somebody's worst day. And, um, what would be a word of hope you would offer for somebody that was, in a February 2020 kind of scenario or any kind of tragedy that today may not be a great day, what would that word of hope be? I would say that you're not alone, even if you feel like you are. There are other people that are going through what you're going through right now or many who have gone before you. If there's someone in your life that you know can sit with you in the darkest place, then that's the first phone call you should make. Uh, if you're lucky enough to have more than one of those people, then call them too. Um, because you don't have to sprint out of this to the next thing. You don't have to force yourself to be okay if you're not. Um, and there's, you know, lots and lots of great 
therapy solutions that um, I found too in my journey and have used in my life that, you know, you don't have to know someone, you can find someone that you don't know, Um, but that it's probably better to go slower than faster when you're right in the middle of a dark place. And that's the easiest way to ensure that you'll get out of it. I have been in the communications business long enough, folks, to know when the last word on a subject has been spoken. And Katie Jezanowski just spoke it. Thank you for spending this time with us at Beyond the Crucible. Um, we don't take that lightly. Uh, we, we, we have now, this is our 181st episode. And if you've been, no matter how long you've been with us, um, these are the kind of stories that we bring to you, people who have overcome very difficult things, um, and then launched very impactful things, what we call a life of significance. So keep in mind what you just heard Katie talk about here on this show, that her crucible experience was was difficult. It was tough. We know yours are too, but it was not the end of her story and your crucible experience is not the end of your story. In fact, as Katie's life proves, it can be the start of a new act in your story that can be the most significant one ever, the most pleasurable act in your story, because where it leads is to a life of significance. If you enjoyed this episode, learned something from it, we invite you to engage more deeply with those of us at Beyond the Crucible. Visit our website, beyondthecrucible.com, to explore a plethora of offerings to help you transform what's been broken into breakthrough. A great place to start? Our free online assessment, which will help you pinpoint where you are on your journey beyond your crucible and to chart a course forward. See you next week.